Okay, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday, time for the AMA, that is the Ask Me Anything, where I respond to your questions and comments, we go through the material together, and we have a discussion. But before we begin, I have just a couple of quick announcements. As you saw from that introductory ad, there will be a discussion this Friday for the Anything Goes segment about one of McFarlane Books' titles, and that is The Flat Tire Murders by... Michael P. Burns, and I will be covering his material on the Miami Strangler, so please look out for that one coming this Friday, and if you haven't liked and subscribed to the channel yet, now is a great time to do so, so you can follow along with all of these discussions. Thank you again to McFarland Books for their support, and also, I am the host of Astro Psych 400, in addition to Black Box Online Radio and working with the Zodiac Killer channel. Astro Psych 400 is a channel that I launched in the early parts of 2021, where I wanted to simply do a 12-part series on astrology, but I started a podcast for sleep, and I just got a comment actually not on a Zodiac episode, but on a Long Island serial killer episode, and giving a shout-out to Michael Rood, who said, Your voice cured me of my insomnia. A lot of people say that they use this program, Black Box Online Radio, to help fall asleep at night. So I created something called the Podcast for Sleep, which is available on Astro Psych 400. There is one episode here on BBOR, but it's going to be coming out regularly on Astro Psych 400. And there are also going to be a few more videos that are going to be talking about psychology. While on Black Box Online Radio, any subject is fair game. I wanted to put the more psychological episodes over on Astro Psych 400 because I thought it was just a little bit more appropriate. And when it comes to um, these types of subjects, I just found the audience can be a little bit different, or if people are in the mood for true crime, then they want to hear true crime. And I am totally sharing that stuff about psychology from the perspective of someone who learns about it on the internet, who has dealt with mental health issues in the past. I am not a psychologist. I am not a mental health professional. I have no degree in that subject. So I share it from a person on the other side of the spectrum. Some first-hand experience is partnered with just reading materials from places like Psych2Go, Psychology Today, and as well as numerous uh, videos here on YouTube. What is a human response? So AstroPsych 400 is where you can find all of that stuff. And another great way to support this channel, in addition to just listening to some content, is going over to Amazon.com and having a look at the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned Dahan. It is a novel murder mystery inspired by the Zodiac Manson connection, but it is fictional. Killer on a White Horse is purely fictional, but who doesn't love a good murder mystery? And there is always the Teespring page. Feel free to go over there and have a look at some of the merchandise. And remember, being weird is not a crime. As you can see from the title of this video, we're going to be talking all about the Zodiac suspect, Robert Ivan Nichols, who is actually connected to the true crime world for two reasons. The first is just that he is a suspect in the Zodiac Killer mystery. And the second is that he was the first person identified via the DNA Doe Project. And there are numerous news articles about both subjects. I was actually pleasantly surprised when I was just putting his name into Google and a world of information was provided. So while in the AMAs I respond to your questions and comments, I will incorporate some of those published articles as well. 
Here's a comment, though, from Daniel Webster that is about the Zodiac Killer, but also just about serial killers in general. And before we get into the material about Robert Ivan Nichols, I would like to begin with that. Daniel Webster writes, I don't know if I agree that all serial killers are mentally ill. And naturally, I can't prove this, but I think serial killers are evil for some reason. They are born without a conscience. Most people can't murder somebody and not feel any badness about it. All he have is a lack of conscience to do that. Certainly some of them are mentally ill, but ones like the Zodiac Killer and BTK are others that couldn't have been mentally ill, or they wouldn't have been able to survive in normal society. I do know one thing. When you can hide the body, you're trying to evade capture, that means you're not mentally ill, because to be mentally ill, in a government definition, you can't know right from wrong. You wouldn't make no attempt to hide the body and make no attempt to evade capture. Many of these serial killers are actually very, very intelligent, and they simply... The simple difference is they lack a conscience. And yes, um, there are a few um, few oddly worded things there, but I did try to read Daniel Webster's comment as close to verbatim as possible. I think we got the major ideas there. Okay, firstly, about being mentally ill. I said this in a recent episode. I was on one of the True Crime Talk radio segments that came out last Tuesday. I said that there was a quote from Thomas Viborgthune, who hosted the Serial Killer podcast, and his claim was that all serial killers are mentally ill. And one of my own original observations about this subject is, psychologists and psychiatrists use words in their own way. Maybe if if you've ever heard Dr. Jordan Peterson, someone will say something, well, what is truth? He's like, okay, define truth. And then someone would be like, do you believe in God? Okay, define God. Okay, well, how do we know right from wrong? Okay, define right and wrong. He's an extreme example of that when anything that anybody says, he needs its own definition. But I genuinely do believe that in the psychological and psychiatric communities, when they say mentally ill or mental illness, they don't necessarily mean that somebody has a neurochemical imbalance or that there is something in the brain. I don't even believe that they test for neurochemical imbalances to diagnose all mental illnesses. Many of them are done through questionnaires. And the reason for this is mentally ill and mental illness, they just mean dangerous or destructive behavior. The general public might not conceive it that way, but there's a special meaning that is reserved for the psychological and psychiatric communities. Now this question, well, I mean, it's a comment rather than a question, about firstly, they are born without a conscience. Here on this channel, I use the terms psychopath, sociopath, and narcissist. I learned a lot about this from Dr. Romani, who runs a very successful YouTube channel about psychology. And her observations aren't too extreme in this regard, but that's just the first person that I heard it from. Psychopath, sociopath, and narcissist, born without a conscience. Which one would that be? That would be the psychopath. All sociopaths and psychopaths are narcissistic, but not all narcissists are psychopathic or sociopathic. A psychopath means that someone is born that way. Sociopath meaning that... The world around them, society, or the social surroundings altered their brain in some way to make them this way. And a narcissist can fall into many categories that are much less severe than that of a psychopath or a sociopath. There's a vulnerable narcissist. Or how about the conversational narcissist, the person who just redirects all conversations to make it about them? 
And the first time anyone ever provided me a definition of the word narcissist, they said it was someone who thinks that they can do no wrong. But that's very, very general. As I said, there are many types of narcissist. And to become a psychopath or a sociopath, or to be diagnosed as one, rather, you have to go through what's called the hair checklist. There are 20 items with a maximum score of 40 points. You can get a score of 0, 1, or 2 for each item. I've actually done it here on one of the old psychology episodes on Black Box Online Radio. If you like that stuff, you can hear more about it on Astro Psych 400. But with um, regard to this one, are all uh, serial killers born without a conscience? No, I don't think so, because a psychopath is someone who is born without those, um, without those items on the hair checklist. You get a score of 0, 1, or 2 for each item, and it doesn't only talk about things such as do they lack empathy. One of them is even having frequent marriages. That's on there. And then again, you need someone who has lots of um, familiarity with the subject because a lot of it is interpretive as well. So that would be my ultimate response. But one point I do completely agree with Daniel Webster is when he says that if somebody is hiding the bodies or making very deliberate and calculated attempts not to get caught, that doesn't really show that someone is not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. That person knows exactly what they're doing. They often use the expression in the media, oh, well, he knew right from wrong. I don't like that. What they're actually trying to say is, it was a deliberate and calculated attempt to cover up the crime. This person had the intent to murder, they knew that what they were doing was illegal, and they were trying to cover their tracks so they didn't get caught. That shows conscious awareness, and it would be inappropriate to say that they are like a clinical psychotic who is having some type of episode when they were not aware of their mental faculties. So that's my full response to Daniel Webster's comments. Much appreciated. Absolutely, um, absolutely good stuff in that one. And now moving on to some stuff about Robert Ivan Nichols. We have an article from Phil Trexler at 3WKYC Studios called, Was Robert Ivan Nichols Really the Zodiac Killer? Some doubts it, but internet won't quit. Philip Nichols can still visualize the shiny new 1964 Ford Falcon convertible, the same one his father drove into a new life. It was the last time he saw his father, Robert Ivan Nichols, alive. I was astonished, my gosh, because the mystery is over 50 years old, Philip, who is now 70 himself, said, Myself, my brother, and my family members have wondered what may have happened to our dad. We had no answers. The internet had fun playing detective games at his father's expense, even now suggesting that Nichols, for an unexplained reason, went to extreme measures to steal a new name and to mask himself and become the Zodiac Killer. This all started at not long after an aging man with oversized glasses and a hairpiece pressed the barrel of a thirty-eight caliber revolver into his jaw and squeezed the trigger. Robert Ivan Nichols died in 2002 using the name Joseph Newton Chandler III, but the real... Joseph Newton Chandler III, actually died in 1945 at the age of eight. And um, yes, I've talked about this in a couple of other episodes, but to give you the nutshell version, Robert Ivan Nichols ran away, abandoned his life, and he assumed the identity of Joseph Newton Chandler III, who was an eight-year-old boy who died in Texas in a traffic accident. So um, that is more or less, uh, I think, the synopsis. And they continue in the article by saying, Robert Nichols grew up in southern Indiana, near the Kentucky border, smart but introverted. He 
served in the Navy during World War II, he was aboard the USS Aaron Ward, anchored near Okinawa when at least six Japanese kamikaze pilots bombed the mine layer on May 3rd of 1945. The attack killed 42 of Robert Ivan Nichols' shipmates. It was a horrific scene of mangled body parts. One blast killed a man two feet from Nichols when the smoke cleared. Nichols looked down and saw his shipmate's boots. Nichols left severely burned and he suffered injuries from shrapnel and later received a purple heart. Relatives recall Nichols returning home and later burning his uniform. He rarely spoke of his military service. And I think anybody who has um, followed the Zodiac Killer mystery would immediately notice some red flags. A lot of people believe that the Zodiac Killer was either ex-Navy or ex-Air Force, and you just heard there that Nichols was a World War II veteran. Now, he was born on September 12th of 1926, so... Let's do some math. The first Zodiac crime occurred in 1968. That would have placed him at 42 years old. I'm so bad at math, but I think that's right. 42, and then he would have been um, actually 42, 43 during 1969. And if his birthday is September 12th, then he would have gone on to his 43rd birthday for the time of the Lake Berryessa stabbing, which occurred on September 27th of 1969, and the Stein murder, which occurred on October 11th of 1969. So, um, definitely one of the older suspects. I mean, not the oldest. There are Zodiac suspects who go up into the age range of the 60s. But to talk a little bit more about the life of Robert Ivan Nichols, there's an article from Vox.com called The Man Without a Name. Robert Ivan Nichols simply disappeared from his average 1960s Midwestern life until using DNA sleuths uncovered the truth, but they were digging where they shouldn't have been. Nichols doesn't get a lot of unannounced visitors during the long-term sober living house in Cincinnati where he lives. By Nichols, they refer to his son, Phil. The two U.S. Marshals waiting at the door on March in March of 2018 told Nichols that they had information for him and questions. They wore plain clothes and smiles and assured Nichols that he wasn't in any trouble. He invited them in. Oh, really? I'd be shitting a brick if that happened to me. It was all very cordial, very polite, very Midwestern. It was early afternoon, the equivalent of morning for Nichols, who doesn't wake before noon, although he wasn't surprised by the visit. Nichols didn't seem unsettled by it. Then the marshals mentioned an address, 1823 Carter Street. Phil Nichols recognized it immediately. It was his grandmother's address in New Albany, Indiana. That was where his father was raised and where Nichols spent time as a child. It was also the address that Joseph Newton Chandler III, a mysterious dead man that marshals were investigating, had listed on a rental application in Mentor, Ohio. Only Chandler had listed the city as Columbus and the resident as Mary R. Wilson, his sister. Neither the woman nor the address existed, at least not in Columbus. The marshals then showed Nichols photos of Joseph Chandler. Um, oh, the photos of Chandler, it says, but it's, um, yeah, okay. And asked whether Nichols recognized the man in the photo. He did. In one photo, the man is caught unaware. He wears a wide-brimmed hat and a pinstripe suit. And Phil Nichols said, that's my father. 
So as you see, Robert Ivan Nichols ran away and started a new life. Many people have their theories in the true crime world about all sorts of high-profile disappearances, whether it was the disappearance of Donna Lass, or I did a multi-part series, and some people thought that that was the answer to the mystery. Donna Lass ran away to start a new life, disappearing on September 6th of 1970, and for the longest time in the disappearance of Maura Murray from Haverhill, New Hampshire in 2004, there was some douchebag on the internet and selling books that was saying that Maura Murray ran away to start a new life. He wrote a book called True Crime Addict, but we don't say his name on this channel because evil. And to get back to this subject, it is just important to note that sometimes that actually is the answer. People do run away to start a new life, and as we've already said, Nichols assumed the identity of a dead eight-year-old boy. And as I understand it from looking into some other true crime cases, why they would choose to do... Um, to use a kid's identification is because the they haven't collected social security yet, so their name hasn't gone through the system, or there's like no, um, well, it's just that like that sets off certain warnings, and then they can actually live under that name and then claim social security. It doesn't appear that these systems are very well connected, and there is a page about Robert, Robert Ivan Nichols on unidentified wiki that says. Robert Ivan Nichols disappeared in March of 1965, or sometime thereafter, and he was discovered on July 30th of 2002. His cause of death was a gunshot wound, and it was a suicide. Robert Ivan Nichols was previously known as Joseph Newton Chandler III, or simply as Joe. He was an identity thief who later committed suicide in Ohio. It is believed that the subject had been a violent criminal who was eluding police, and he stole a deceased child's identity in 1976. Now, I just have to build upon some previous comments that I've made about Robert Ivan Nichols on this channel. He was also known to have extremely deviant behavior, and he once drove from the Midwest to an L.L. Bean store in Maine, and... I guess just to go shopping, but the parking lot was full and he couldn't find a space, so then he drove back. Like, bizarre, abnormal behavior. So, um, they say that he is a violent criminal. I wanted to share something about him that is just a little bit on the lighter side, but still deviant behavior all the same. He moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and worked as an engineer before later working as an electrical designer and draftsman for a chemical company until he was fired in 1997. He was described as a hermit who only left his apartment in Eastlake to eat and go to work. He seemed to have no friends or family, and he attended a Halloween party in 1992. No one thought he would attend, dressed as a 1930s gangster, and barely spoke to anyone. Alright, I know this guy did some terrible things in his life, but that is kind of cool. Um, aside from, uh, this uh, concept of being a hermit, only going out to eat and work. Well, if someone is living under an assumed name, they probably have a lot of practice and experience laying low, keeping a low profile. I don't think that is too um, strange. But after being diagnosed with colon cancer, it is believed that he shot himself in the mouth on July 23rd of 2002. His body was badly decomposed because he had turned off the air conditioning and closed every blind in the apartment. After attempting to find his next of kin, it was discovered that Joseph Chandler had died in Texas in 1945 following a traffic accident. The man's body was cremated and his fingerprint records were lost. Tissue samples from a surgery in 2000 were used to obtain his DNA. In 2016, some evidences were found that the man's real name may have been Robert, Nicholas, or Nichols. In June of 2018, with the help of the DNA Doe Project, it was announced that he was officially identified as 75-year-old Robert Ivan Nichols. 
The match was made in March of 2018, according to the organization, making him the first to be identified using forensic genetic genealogical research. So, as I said, Robert Ivan Nichols has a couple claims to fame in the true crime world. One is a little bit more sinister, and another is actually something that could help solve cases in the future. Due to the fact that he stole a child's identity, it is suspected that Robert was a violent fugitive, and some have even gone as far to say that Robert was the Zodiac Killer. Police are investigating a possible link between Robert Ivan Nichols and the unidentified suspect believed to be responsible for the murder of Amy Mihailovich. So that again, I think that also puts us in the territory of some people have a Zodiac Killer suspect who is also a suspect in other crimes. And right now I have to give a shout out to YouTube user Kelly Gable, who has shared a lot of things with me over the past couple months about Robert Ivan Nichols. And I also need to say to you guys that this is the first time I've ever done a an episode for the Zodiac AMA series about a suspect that didn't have his own standalone episode in the past. But lots of people have requested an episode on Robert Ivan Nichols, and lots of people have wanted to just hear some responses to Robert Ivan Nichols as a Zodiac suspect. And the first one um, that Kelly Gable has for us is about the connection between New Albany, Indiana, and Albany, New York, that the Zodiac very famously had the Albany letter, which, as I understand, not everyone is in 100% consensus that that was indeed a Zodiac communication. However, Albany, New York, New Albany, Indiana, this is purely Kelly Gable's observation, is the Zodiac trying to clue us in onto his identity by sharing that piece of info. And also, I did an episode um, recently, it was about a possible phone call that could have made after the Stein shooting, and really it's about, someone was asking me the question, do I think that the Zodiac killer uh, made, was a planning on making a phone call after murdering his final victim? And I said, no, for the reasons that you can hear about in that episode. And Kelly Gable has responded by saying, Ned, you say Paul Stein is not the only time that there was a single man or person targeted. This isn't true. On December 25th of 1954, the Zodiac murdered yellow cab hack Conrad John Favreau in Los Angeles. He also murdered Ray Davis on the evening of April 9th, 1962. The Oceanside Police Department received an anonymous telephone call. The unidentified caller said, I'm going to pull something here in Oceanside. You will never be able to figure it out. The call was likely dismissed until two nights later on October 11th of 1962 when the body of Ray Davis was discovered and the caller contacted police again. And last but not least, on October 2nd of 1974, Joseph Roy Davis was murdered in Jacksonville, Florida. How about Kathleen Johns? If her story is right, the Zodiac was not expecting Kathleen Johns to have been have a baby with her, so she, she would have been a single-person victim. And I know some of you can already predict my response to that, but um, I do have to say those are all unconfirmed Zodiac crimes. And as for the Kathleen Johns incident, I am highly, highly suspicious of not only whether or not that was Zodiac activity, but also that those events actually happened, that this man abducted her on Highway Route 132, and that, um, and I can't even put my finger on it exactly, but I am very doubtful of her story. I can't, I would really don't want to say that I don't believe her, but, um, I'm tempted to. But I did address this in the episode, um, Arthur Lee Allen and the Murder of Valentine Sally, when I talked about how the Zodiac did not target lone females. 
I halfway agree with you, Kelly, that the Zodiac Killer, or if that was indeed the Zodiac, the perpetrator in the Kathleen Johns incident, probably was looking for a person and didn't expect that there was going to be a child present. But on the other hand, I have to um, disagree by saying Kathleen Johns was not a lone woman, as you point out. There was a child present with her. Now, I simply do not believe that any of the unconfirmed crimes were actually the Zodiac Killer, so including Ray Davis in 1962. And here's another one of my own original observations when he says, I'm going to pull something here in Oceanside and you'll never be able to figure it out. Well, then the Zodiac crimes didn't occur in Oceanside, California. And secondarily, the murderer of Ray Davis threatened to kill a bus driver. And this is really what I think is interesting. The Zodiac threatened to shoot the kiddies as they come bouncing off the bus. The Zodiac said he was going to make a bus bomb, but the Zodiac did not threaten a bus driver. Now, some people think that the Zodiac was a bus driver himself who was living a frustrated life, and, I mean, that's the kind of person that would write a letter like that, but is that a particular linguistic difference that you guys agree or disagree with? I am not convinced that any of the unconfirmed crimes were actually committed by the Zodiac Killer. And now here's one that is more directly related to the um, Robert Ivan Nichols connection. In the 340 cipher, he wrote Tony Tola. He is cluing that the Zodiac symbol, then to Los Angeles, that it shows New York. He had was hinting that he either did something in New York or was planning to do something in New York, showing that he did or planned to do things in both. Again, referring to the Albany letter or maybe some other crimes that could have been planned in the state of New York. But um, it is true in the 340 cipher, there is a set of symbols that does appear to be Tony Tola, T-O-N-Y-T-O-L-A. I have a whole episode about this in one of the older podcast recordings here on this channel. But um, is that, again, something that the um, Zodiac was going to try and do? I mean, it's some good food for thought. I definitely will give you that. That was the Zodiac trying to clue us in that something was going to happen in New York in the future. And Kelly also reminds us that um, that... Many of the Zodiac crimes took place near bodies of water, and the Zodiac is trying to use that as some type of signature. For example, I mean, even if even if I'm wrong, and Ray Davis was a genuine Zodiac killer victim, where did we say that took place? Oceanside, California. Where did the murder of Sherry Jo Bates take place? A crime that is also an unconfirmed Zodiac crime? Riverside, California. And where are the first two confirmed Zodiac victims? Lake Herman Road on December 20th of 1968. The second confirmed shooting was at Blue Rock Springs, July 4th of 1969. The third confirmed incident, Lake Berryessa on September 27th of 1969. And the final confirmed incident, Presidio Heights, Paul Stein, the taxi driver. Gareth Penn really wanted to push the bodies of water theory by saying that, okay, we got to make the Stein murder fit into this somehow. So he said that Washington and Cherry Street, where Paul Stein was murdered, is similar to the word wash. And wash is a body of water, or it's water-related, and that there's a fire hydrant near where Paul Stein was murdered. I do not accept that. I think that that is a classic textbook example of somebody who is perhaps very famous, nonetheless, in the Zodiac world, Gareth Penn, fudging the facts to make his theory work. But all the previous ones that we said, bodies of water then 
that is something to uh, think about. And Kelly says that New Albany, Indiana, is right along the side of the Ohio River, and that that is also um, meaning that Nichols has a connection to a place that is similar to Albany, where the Albany letter was mailed, and it's also similar to the Bodies of Water connection, plus the fact that Robert Ivan Nichols was in the Navy, where he could have learned all kinds of things about coding and um, being traumatized by the acts of war and affecting him in a negative way, plus the fact that he left his family and just disappeared and started a new life, stealing the identity of an eight-year-old boy. He is deviant, he is um, doing things that are illegal, so he has a rap sheet, and he is prone to um, fits of inappropriate and destructive behavior. Would you even say that he is mentally ill? Absolutely, he committed suicide in 2002, and I don't fault him for that, I'm not making fun of him for that in any single way. I hope that didn't come out wrong. But yes, if he committed suicide, then he definitely would be dealing with mental health issues, and he would be classified as mentally ill. And right now I would like to go to an article from NewsHerald.com called A Year After Joseph Newton Chandler's True Identity Was Revealed and the Why Remains Unanswered. This article was from 2019, written by Andrew Cass, just citing the source. Okay, the true identity of the man who went by the name Joseph Newton Chandler was unknown for almost 16 years. The man was described as quiet, reserved, and eccentric by co-workers, and was found dead in his apartment on July 31st of 2002. The landlord called police after a neighbor complained about the odor. First responders needed to wear gas masks in the apartment because of the stench. And as we said before, earlier on in the episode that he had uh, turned off the air conditioning, and this was the month of July, and t closed all the blinds. Investigators said a week earlier the man had locked all doors in his East Lake apartment and committed suicide by a gunshot wound. The body was badly decomposed when first responders found him due to the condition of the body. Fingerprints were unobtainable, and he was cremated. It's interesting how this article says that um, they checked to see if his fingerprints were available before they cremated him, the other article um, left out that piece of information. Eastlake Police Chief Larry Reich previously said the death of Joseph Newton Chandler started out as a suicide case and no one was suggesting anything related to foul play. Then the questions started coming. It turns out Joseph Newton Chandler III died twice. The funeral services for Joseph Newton Chandler, Mrs. Chandler, and their son Joe Chandler III of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who were all killed Friday night in a collision of a truck in 1945. On December 24th, of Christmas Eve, and I think they mean Friday as referring to December 24th of 1945 was a Friday, and that was what a news article said from the, um, actually it just says the news article, it's kind of odd they don't cite the source where they got that info from, but it does um, say it's nothing too outrageous or it's somewhat of a widely accepted fact that this is how Nichols obtained the identity. Also, very interesting, but not surprising at all, that he took the identity of an eight-year-old boy whose parents were also dead. Joseph Newton Chandler III, the real one, died when he was eight years old. Thirty-three years later, an imposter used the dead child's personal information to obtain a social security card. Yeah, see, that's exactly it. This is all about social security. I mean, that's why people do it. They go after children, so to speak for this purpose. The man spent the final 24 years of his life living as Chandler, primarily in the greater Cleveland area. He worked at Edco Company in Cleveland and later Lubrizol in Wycliffe as an electrical engineer. Now, also, some people think that the Zodiac Killer had 
a background in either math, the sciences, or engineering. That guy, Gareth Penn, that I was being very hard on earlier, wrote a book called Time 17, where he talked all about mathematical signatures that are found in the zodiacular mystery. And also, many people simply believe that the zodiac had a high understanding of math, the sciences, or engineering, particularly chemistry, which comes up a lot. I'm sure you've heard somebody talk about how the zodiac said, I'm mildly serious to know how much my the bounty is on my head, or something like that. It's meant to be the word curious, but it's spelled C-E-R-O-U-S, like cirrus oxalate, which is the name of a chemical. That is just one example of this, and as far as engineering goes, it is... You look at the zodiac ciphers. They are very neat. The letters are very sloppy. Drew Beeson talks about a lot on this channel. I want to, again, cite the source, not my own original observation. He has proposed that the letters were... The ciphers, rather, were drawn on a light table, and that the person who created them had draftsman experience, so that's also something about Robert Ivan Nichols. Co-workers told investigators he would occasionally disappear for periods of time, saying they're getting close, but he would eventually return. He would listen to static white noise for hours. That's also weird. I mean, that whole thing about driving to the L.L. Bean store in Maine... Who doesn't like to go on a road trip? Have you, haven't you? you ever heard the phrase, getting there is the um, funnest part or something like that? Okay, that's not a phrase. You know, what it is, it's like, it's not where you're going, it's about getting there, something like that. And, um, okay, epic failure on my part of remembering phrases. But there is some type of phrase out there like that, whatever it may be. But listening to white noise for hours? I know we didn't have the internet that much back in those days. I guess the internet was just coming out around the time of Robert Ivan Nichols' death. And, yeah, people would um, just do things like sit around a lot more. I remember life almost before the internet. But that's weird. That's weird. Okay, so they was announced at a June 21st, 2018 press conference that the imposter Chandler's real identity was Robert Ivan Nichols. Nichols had received a purple heart in World War II, divorced his wife in 1964, telling her in due time that you will know why. Handwritten letters, postmarks, and other documentation obtained by the Marshal Service show that Nichols resided in Dearborn, Michigan in 1964, before traveling to where? Where? San Francisco and Richmond, California the following years. He was reported missing by his family in 1965, and numerous attempts by authorities to locate him were unsuccessful. The family never heard from Nichols again after 1965, and of course the first confirmed Zodiac crime was in 1968. Elliot said at the press conference that Nichols does not have a criminal history either by his real name or by his assumed name. Well then, I did notice that from a lot of the early things that I was reading. It says that they believe that he was a violent criminal. I mean, identity theft, social security fraud. Okay, those things, I think there must be something criminal in that way. But, I guess they're trying to say um, he didn't have a rap sheet as Robert Ivan Nichols before he disappeared. He said that Nichols worked under his real name until 1976. Also fascinating. I guess the world isn't just very connected. But the IRS is unable to tell him where he worked. That is, um, I think, very bizarre. You're on the run. You're going by Joseph Newton Chandler, but you're still using the name Robert Ivan Nichols. It's a messed up world. There has to be a reason he assumed the name of a deceased eight-year-old boy and went into hiding for so many years, Elliot said. There has to be a reason he never contacted his family again. Oh, well... I think I can answer that. These are just possibilities. Why would somebody do that in the first place? It's a walk away. They want to walk away to get away from the life that they are in, and he wants to use the name Joseph Newton Chandler III. 
because he doesn't want people to find him. I mean, it's abandoning his life, which is bad, which is bad. He abandoned his children. He abandoned his family. That's bad. But people have done similar things in the past. I'm not too outraged by that, and I wouldn't jump to any major conclusions other than simply stating that as a fact. He walked away from his old life. There has to be a reason he never contacted his family again, leaving $82,000 in a bank account to his son. Well, my father never did that for me. No, I shouldn't be too envious, though. Hmm. A reason he never wanted to be found throughout his lifetime and even into his death. Someone out there, the public, in the public, may hold the key. I mean, I don't know what that's all about, and that would be just guesswork on my part if I were to um, say anything else on the subject. So, at this time, I would like to ask you guys, what do you think about Robert Ivan Nichols as a Zodiac killer suspect? And what do you think about his deviant behavior? Does that show signs that he could have been a serial killer? What do you think about him going on the run and trying to um, live under this new name? And also, I would really like to know, what do you think about the 1962 murder of Ray Davis? Again, a taxi driver was murdered in April of that year, and that somebody discarded Ray Davis's body and made taunting phone calls saying that he's going to pull something in Oceanside and they'll never be able to figure it out and also said that he was going to get a bus driver next. Do you believe the 1962 murder of Ray Davis was genuine Zodiac activity? And we have a comment from Bruce Wayne Higgins, Batman himself, who says, Cousin Ned, what are the chances of a possible Zodiac killer connection concerning the 1962 Oceanside California taxicab murder of 29-year-old Ray Davis. Some similarities. Both were, were taxi drivers, uh, comparing Ray Davis to Paul Stein, the final Zodiac victim, the taxi driver that is. So, both Ray Davis and Paul Stein were taxi drivers. Both were shot in the head with similar ammunition, 22 long rifle in 1962 and 9mm in 1969. The Zodiac Killer used 22 long rifle as well, but not not on Stein, but elsewhere. Taunting phone calls to the police were made in 1962. Ah, but there was not one made after the Stein shooting. That was the subject of last week's Zodiac Mondays. Now, some of the, someone asked the question, was the Zodiac planning to um, make a phone call after the Stein shooting, but he got interrupted? And my response was, I can only guess, but to give you the nutshell version of that episode, no. Because the Zodiac Killer had cut off a piece of Paul Stein's shirt. He didn't need to make the phone call. He could already prove that he had committed the crime without making a phone call. He's going to mail a piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt in with the letters, which he did. And also, the risk of getting caught would be too high. And finally, Pedro Fernandez pointed out that he is a San Francisco local and native, and that there wouldn't have been phone booths in that area, in the vicinity of that area in 1969, and um, I'll take his word for that, I mean, if he is a local, but what I would like to respond to is that in both the Blue Rock Springs shooting and the Lake Berryosa stabbing, the Zodiac Killer committed a crime and then made a phone call. That's not a brilliant observation, right? But they both occurred around one hour and... 20, 30, 40 minutes later, say for example, on the Blue Rock Springs shooting, the time frame is 
that Darlene Farron was murdered, I can only estimate at 11.55 p.m. on July 4th of 1969. The phone call doesn't come until 12.40 a.m. on July 5th of 1969. We're talking about one hour and 45 minutes. With the Lake Berryessa stabbing, the stabbing concluded, perhaps. The stabbing probably ended at some time around 6.20 p.m., and by the time the Zodiac Killer wrote the message on the car door, it could have been 6.30 p.m. on September 27th of 1969, and then the phone call doesn't come till 7.40 p.m., so I just wanted to share with you guys that that happens both times over an hour, so someone could have gone as far as you can get in one hour from the crime scene to make the phone call and, you know, kind of zigzag, go this way and back, it, however long it takes to get to a payphone. So it's it's possible that somebody could have been planning a call after the Stein shooting. I don't think so, but I'm always open to new possibilities, and the phone calls did not come immediately after the crimes were committed. There was more than an hour after both of the confirmed Zodiac phone calls. And the final point was, a school bus driver will be next. Oh, but did the Zodiac threaten a bus driver? Maybe the bus bomb would count as that, but maybe not. It's kind of a um, kind of a stretch, so to speak. So thank you to everybody who's left comments about um, the murder of Ray Davis as well. And as you can see, I do not believe that that was genuine Zodiac activity, but I'm always open to new evidence and persuasion because... It's an unsolved case, and anything is possible, right? So, you can weigh in in the comment section down below if you disagree with me. Tell me the reasons why you think so, and I'll talk to you real soon. Alright, see you over on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.